Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. It's going to be a great day here at church, much cooler than we've experienced it previous week, so I'm excited for that. Uh, My name is Katie Brinkman. I am Pastor Ben's wife. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, so if you're here for the first time, I'd love to meet you at the end of the service. Would you turn with me to a couple passages in the Bible? We're going to take a look at Ephesians 2.10, which is the passage we've been looking at every single week, and then we're also going to turn to the book of Mark and go to chapter 3. Both of those books are located in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, The New Testament starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark will be uh, at the beginning of the New Testament there for you. And then Ephesians can be found right between, smack dab in the middle, between Galatians and Philippians. One way that I love to remember um, the order of those particular books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, is God eats popcorn. I just take, I don't know. I like popcorn, so... Um, When I was memorizing the books of the Bible and trying to figure out where to find some of these smaller books, it just came to me. So (laughs) you can take that if you'd like. Um, But it's right there in between Galatians and Philippians. Let's do this, though. Let's, uh, I believe we're going to have Ephesians 2.10 on the screen for us today because we're going to read that out of the New Living Translation. And I know many of us have different translations of the Bible in our hands today. You might be reading from the New Living. You might be reading from the NIV from the New King James, but together I'd love to read this from the screens uh, and and, uh, do this together. You ready? Yeah? Okay, let's go. For we are God's masterpiece. Oh, let's start again. I don't hear all the voices, okay? We're an interactive church, so feel free to do it loud. All right, ready? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We've been looking at this verse uh, in our series called The Masterpiece, and we've been talking about how we are gods, and he says that we are a masterpiece, and we looked at that the first week, and then last week we took a look at the second portion of that verse that says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, and uh, we discussed why. Uh, Why did he have to create us anew in Christ? Christ Jesus. And we talked about the sin and the emotional scars in our lives, those sin being the uh, anything consistent with the nature of God. And those emotional scars, those things that happen to us that are out of our control, that we didn't ask for, we didn't cause ourselves, but things that happen to us that, that caused harm, that caused hurt and caused pain. And because of those things, because of sin and because of those emotional scars, Jesus had to come and create us, uh, create us anew. And the scripture says that God has a plan for us. And we talked about that a little bit last week as well, that God has a plan for you and I. But in order to step in and fulfill the plan of God in our lives, we must be created anew. And so today we're going to talk about how that takes place. And would you turn with me to Mark chapter 3? You may already have it. Um, if you've got your, it on, the Bible on your smartphone or your device, you're, or you were there a long time ago. So Mark chapter 3, and we're going to read through verses 1 and 6 this morning. Again, he entered the synagogue. Who is he? This is Jesus entering the synagogue. The synagogue for us, we call it church, okay? 
So he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus. Who is the they? The they are the Pharisees, uh, the religious people of that day, the religious leaders of that day. They were watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath would be like our today, Sunday. So in the synagogue, in church, on the Sabbath, on a Sunday. So uh, we can relate it to that for us today. So that they might accuse him. And we'll get there in a moment um, as we dive into these passages. And verse 3 says, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Jesus speaks to him and says, Come here. And he said to them, looking at the Pharisees and the religious people of the day, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, against Jesus, about how to destroy him. Can we pray together this morning? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your church this morning. And God, we thank you that we can worship together with song and we can continue our worship as we give ourselves to the reading and to the instruction of the word. And so, uh, God, we pray that you would speak to each one of us here this morning and minister to each one of us in only the way that you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Um, <clears throat> my husband and I have been married for 17 years. Uh, we celebrated our 17th anniversary on August 2nd this summer, and we have two kids. And when I think now back to earlier days before my husband and I got married, before I ever met him, I think all the way back to my high school days, my junior high days, uh, sitting with my girlfriends and imagining who I would marry one day, signing my signature with so-and-so's last name. You, I got any witnesses out there that would, okay, none that want to admit it. I know y'all played M.A.S.H., you know what I'm talking about. You played mass. You had 17 kids. Yep. In the mansion. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, and, and that, you know, sometimes it fell on the right guy. Sometimes it didn't fall on the right guy. You're like, wait a second. But I remember thinking back to those days and just so thankful and so um, amazed uh, at the life that I have now and thinking about the marriage and now the two daughters that I have and, you know, playing those games and having fun imagining, it, it just never compared to what I, what I experience um, today. And in spite of the hard times, in spite of the diff difficult challenges that we face in marriage, it's just amazing to look back and to think, wow, I, I honestly never knew that I would be where I'm at today and so grateful for that. Uh, and I remember the day that my husband proposed to me. Um, it was uh, on my 21st birthday, and we had, uh, he'd picked me up at my apartment, and we'd gone down to Lake Washington in the Northwest, and we had a picnic, and he'd picked up some Chinese food, and we ate, uh, ate the Chinese food on the blanket, and uh, after we had eaten, he just, like, shoves a fortune cookie in my face. <laughs> He's like, here you go, you need have your fortune cookie. And I'm like, all right, okay. And so I crack it open, and I look, and I'm like, wow, 
they are really good. Because it said my name on it. It starts with Katie, and I'm thinking, these people are good. I mean, this is a fortune, man. And then I read a little further, and it says, Katie, I love you. Will you marry me? And I looked up, and I saw my husband on his knee with the ring in his hand presenting to me a life saying, will you marry me? Will you live the rest of your life with me? Will you grow old with me? Will you be my best friend? Will you marry me, not just for 17 years, not just for 30 years, not just for 50 years? Come on, my grandfather just passed away um, last month, and he experienced 70 years of very happy marriage. Um, And come on, at that moment, that is what my husband was presenting to me. He was presenting to me a life. He was proposing a life to me. And at that moment, how weird would it have been if I just was like, oh, that was so wonderful. That was just amazing. And if I were to give him a hug, and then we just went about the rest of our day. That would have been awkward, right? The poor man would have been like, okay, I'll go wherever. (laughs) Okay, all right. Shove the ring back in the pocket. Wonder what's happening. No, that proposal, that question that was in that fortune cookie elicited a response, didn't it? Those of you that are married here today, you know that when you heard those words, ladies, will you marry me? It didn't take long. Either tears were rolling down your face, you were speechless and you were hugging, and that was the yes, or you were screaming yes, jumping up and down, grabbing the ring, putting it on, and walking around like this. I remember me. I said yes tears running down my face. The rest of the day, I was like, ah, on cloud nine, like, I'm marrying the man of my dreams. Oh my goodness. I had no clue what was happening the rest of the day. I got surprised many more times. Should have been obvious. I had no clue because I was on cloud nine. But in that moment, he was presenting, he was offering me something. And I had a choice to make, whether I was going to say yes or whether I was going to say no. And I look back now, in spite of challenges that we faced in our marriage, and it's only been 17 years, and I know there are some of you that have experienced many, many more than, than I have uh, yet uh, this so far. Um, but I, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I said yes and um, that, that I'm getting to experience that, um, that life that he presented to me. And it's, it's far, far just blows my mind. It's far more than I would have ever expected, and, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And as we look at this passage of Scripture here, and we're going to talk about how Christ creates us anew. So we talked last week about why he needed to. <laughs> and if you weren't here, you can, you can go on to the Canvas Church app, listen to that, that message. You can go online and listen to that message. But we understand why he needed to create us anew. But we're going to look at how, how he does that. And when we talk about the how, there really are two aspects to this. There are two parts to it. The first part is his part, his part, God's part, Jesus' part. And that's what we call divine sovereignty. And the second part of it is our part, which is the human responsibility side. The two parts of of the how behind um, seeing this take place is is his part, the divine sovereignty, and our part, the human responsibility. And looking at his part, looking at the divine sovereignty, Jesus 
went to the cross over 2,000 years ago, and on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. He took our pain. He took those wounds that we talked about, those emotional scars that we talked about last week. When he went to the cross, he did it not just for me, not just for you, but every single person that will ever live on the face of this planet. Everyone that has been, everyone that will be, every sin that has ever been committed, every sin that will be committed, Jesus took it upon himself. He, he, he said, I am going to take your place. The Bible says that the wages of sin, that those, those, those mistakes that we made, those, those choices that we've made in life that are contrary to the will of God, contrary to what God, God's plan is for our life, contrary to his very nature, Jesus said, you know what? The wages of that is death. It's separation from your heavenly father for all eternity. But I don't want you to experience that. So I'm going to come and I'm going to take your place. And I'm going to choose to take those sins upon himself. And he went to the cross and he took every one of our sins, every one of those, those scars and those wounds that we've, we've experienced in life. He took it upon himself and he died for us. Isn't that amazing? When you think about how grateful are you? I mean, you can have a bad week, but when you come into church and you remember that, it's like, thank you, Jesus. I have something to celebrate this morning. I can celebrate the fact that the sins and the, the pain that I've experienced, Jesus took it from me. He took it already. He died on the cross for me so that I can experience life. Amen? So aren't you grateful for that this morning? So that we can experience life. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, just rewind two verses before Ephesians 2.10. It says that it was by grace through faith that we have been saved. By grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. You and I didn't deserve it. Uh, Kim mentioned this morning that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and I. We did not deserve the grace of God. That's his part. That's the divine sovereignty. By grace we are saved. But there's a human responsibility side of that. And that is through faith. That we have to put our faith and our trust in him. But the amazing thing, the thing that blows my mind is that verse tells us that the faith that we put in Jesus isn't even from us. But it's from God. That God has provided that faith for us. Which tells us that he did his part. He poured out his grace, and he provided a way for us, and then he enabled us to make the choice. He enabled us to put our faith in him and say, Jesus, thank you. I receive that free gift of life that you've given to me. I receive what you did for me on the cross. His part, the grace of God being poured out on us. Colossians 2.14, I love this verse. Because Colossians talks about the handwriting of requirements. And you can write, jot down all these verses. We're going to be talking about all kinds of verses. And for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to turn to every one of them. But I would encourage you to write these down in your notes. Write them down on your smartphone. Uh, write these down uh, because we can't go deep into every single one of these verses. But I encourage you to go write them down. And you can go to them later and read, read them later. But Colossians 2 talks about that handwriting of requirements. In other words, all the sins that you and I have ever committed, written down on a, the list was, 
written out, and Jesus took that, those requirements, that list of requirements, and when he went to the cross, it was nailed to the cross, saying, it is finished, it is done, I'm taking that uh, for them, I'm taking that, so that is, that's no longer yours, it's no longer mine, but Jesus took that handwriting of requirements, and he nailed it to the cross, he did his part, amen. Can I, can I get a handheld mic? Thank you. He did his part. Amen. He did his part. And what we see, when we look at our lives and when we, when we see the sin, when we see the emotional scars, we might see it like this. An absolute mess. We look and we see a mass, we don't see a masterpiece, but we see this. But when God looks down, he sees an opportunity for redemption. When we look at that, we just want to cover it up and we want to just turn it around and hide it so nobody can see. God looks down and sees an opportunity for restoration. Because he knows that he took it all for us. He knows that he did his part many years ago to forgive us of those things and to bring healing in those areas of our lives where we need that healing touch. But there's another side to this, and it's our part. It's the part where, much like my husband bowing his knee and presenting to me a life, I had an option. I could choose yes or no, and our part is we must respond to the grace of God. We must respond to what Jesus did for us on the cross. What he did elicits a response from us. And we see that in Scripture many times over. In the, in the New Testament, as, as we read the Gospels, we see instances where Jesus looks for a response from people. And in John chapter 5, verse 6, there's a man, and he's, he was at uh, the pool of Bethesda. And this pool was a pool where every once in a while, every, every year or so, an angel would come and would stir the waters. This man was lame. In other words, he couldn't walk, he couldn't move. And around the pool, surrounding the pool, were all these that needed healing. All these that, that were blind or lame or crippled, and they needed healing. And, and the first one that would get into the pool after the angel stirred it would be healed and would be restored. And so many would, would gather around the pools in hopes that they could be the first one in so that they could be restored, so that they could be healed. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and he comes uh, to, the, to the pool, and he sees this man who is lame. And Jesus comes up to him, and he asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? Could you imagine? The pool is surrounded by people that are sick and that need healing. And Jesus has the audacity to ask, do you want to be made well? And the man's probably thinking, it's the very reason why I'm here. Hello. I'm just trying to get in. And he responds to Jesus with some complaints. I don't have anybody to put me in. I don't have this. I don't have that. And Jesus ignores that and speaks to the man and gets a response from the man. And the result is the man is healed. But why did Jesus ask that question? Because he was looking for the man to respond to Jesus, to look to Jesus and ask 
for healing, to respond to him. In Mark chapter 10, verse 59, there's another man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. And he's alongside the road, been blind, and, and he hears some commotion, and there's a large crowd that's following Jesus along the road. Blind Bartimaeus hears the commotion, and somehow it must have gotten word. He must have heard the name of Jesus and caught wind that Jesus was the one that was passing by. And if you've read the story before, you know Blind Bartimaeus begins to scream out, begins to call to Jesus, and Jesus comes to him. <laughs> it was obvious he was blind. The man couldn't get to Jesus, so people had to bring Jesus to him. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus was looking for a response. Jesus was looking for the man to respond to him and say, Lord, heal me. He wants a response from us. He wants us to take the mess and to put it into his hands. To take the paintbrush, to take the paints, and say, Jesus, I don't have this all figured out. And I want to put this into your hands. And will you create me anew? Will you create me anew? And the passage that we read in Mark chapter 3, I believe is a a beautiful picture of this. Of the, the response that Jesus is looking for. Of the atmosphere that was taking place in the moment, we saw as we read that they were in the church, they were there on a, on a Sunday, and there was a man that had been there, and apparently the man had come in with a withered hand, and in other words, for us today, we can uh, look at that as struggles, as, as a, something in his life that he needed help with, that a struggle, an issue, something that was taking place, a, a, a wound, maybe a, you know, an issue that you're struggling with today. And he was coming in and he was coming out the same way every every time he entered into the synagogue. And at the time, there were those religious leaders that were there. And the religious leaders were watching Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. You might wonder, well, why, why was that a big deal? What's that all about? Well, see, there were traditions and and customs that they had set up that you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And, and uh, they, they took from the law and the, the Ten Commandments, and they took it a little further, and, and they began to put demands and customs and their traditions on top of that. And, and so they were looking to accuse Jesus and to accuse him of doing work, of doing something he shouldn't have been doing on the Sabbath. And Jesus sees that. He sees their heart. He sees that here's a man with an issue. Here's a man with a struggle coming into the church, the very place where he should find hope, the very place where he should find healing, but yet he's walking out the same way. He's walking out with his struggle. He carried it in, and he's carrying it back out. He's coming in with it, and he's leaving with it. And and Jesus is angry because he sees that the religious system that's been set up cares more about their customs, cares more about their structures than about the man that needs a healing touch, then about the man that has a struggle, that has an issue, has something that he's going through. And Jesus is angry. He's upset. Because it's not what the church should look like. And I believe that in this passage, we see Jesus begin to set some things straight. 
begin to show us how the church should be and what the church should look like. And in that passage, we see that Jesus calls the man to him. And he begins to ask him to do probably the hardest thing he's ever done before. Stretch out the, the very thing that's going on in his life in front of everyone. You know, there's other passages in Scripture where we see the religious people. There's one in, in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, where the religious people came in and they were dragging a woman along with them and threw the woman down in front of Jesus. And they said, this woman, she was caught in the very act, the very act of adultery. What, what's gonna, what, what should be done to her? What are you going to do, Jesus? She's a sinner. She's, she's done this. And seeing the hardness of their hearts and seeing these religious people come in and lined up bringing accusation against this woman rather than mercy, rather than love, rather than acceptance. Jesus looks at him and he just drops down to his knees and he begins to, to write. I have no idea what Jesus is writing in the dirt. I really want to know what it was because it might make us pastors things, I mean, stuff would get dealt with. Okay, because here's what happened. As Jesus is writing in the dirt, one by one, every one of those religious people that were accusing that woman left. They left from the oldest to the youngest first. The oldest first, all the way down to the last one, the youngest of the bunch, finally leaves. Jesus looks at the woman with compassion, looks at her and says, look, where are your accusers? She looks around. She says, there are none, Lord. And he looks at her and he says something. He says, neither do I accuse you. Neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. What did Jesus do? He created an atmosphere of love and acceptance, of mercy, saying, I don't, I don't condemn, condemn you. I receive you. But the response I need from you is I need you to go and sin no more. And the man in this passage in Mark chapter 3 takes the very struggles, the struggle that he had, that withered hand. For us, it might be the sin. For us, it might be those broken dreams. For us, it might be the marriage that's, that's broken. For us, it might be that anger issue that you struggle with. For us, it might be gossip. Maybe it's lying, whatever it is. And, and he stretches it out in front of everyone. Jesus put the man on display. Not because the man was the focal point or the, the sin and the, the stuff in his life. That wasn't the focal point. But what Jesus was about to do would become the focal point. And Jesus heals the man. The moment he stretched out that struggle, the moment he brought it out and put it out in front of Jesus, it says that his hand was healed. It was restored just like the other. In that moment, he was healed. In that moment, he was restored. In that moment, he went from this to this. How does Jesus 
create us anew and give us a blank canvas so that God can begin to paint that masterpiece called our life. First, Jesus creates an atmosphere of love and acceptance. He shows us that his church is a place where you can come in and admit that you're not perfect. Where you can come in and admit that, man, I I just had a fight with my spouse on the way here. We need you to pray for us. Admit that, that you've got stuff that you face. You've got things from your past that you're trying to overcome. Rather than coming into church and putting on an image, putting on the the happy smile, the happy face, and pretending like everything's right, walking in with the withered hand and walking out with the withered hand and walking in with the withered hand and walking back out with the withered hand. But instead, Jesus says, my church is a place of love. My church, my house is a place of acceptance. It's a place of mercy where you can come in with your mess. You can come in with your stuff and you can put it out there and bring it to Jesus and put it out there in front of people that will love you, that will pray for you, that will accept you, that will not judge you because they know that they were once right here. Because every one of us in this room was once right here. We might be over here now, but when you see us worshiping, raising our hand, clapping our hands, singing at the top of our lungs, it's because we were here. And we know Jesus brought us here, and now we're here. And we're grateful for it. We're thankful for it. And we don't come in here this morning to say, man, look at us. We're over here, and you should be here too. We come and we say, thank God I'm not here anymore. And you know what? I know you are, but there is hope. There is life. Come on. It, we've been talking through this series that if a picture speaks a thousand words, then our life as a master as a master as the masterpiece hello speaks something and what is it speaking is it speaking judgment is it speaking condemnation is it speaking you should look like this when you walk into church no it's saying you know what i'm going to speak love i'm going to speak acceptance because i was once here and i stretched it out to jesus and because i did he gave me a blank canvas and now i can stand here today grateful and praising god because i'm right here and every once in a while i mess up the masterpiece and i take the brush out of jesus's hand and i may I, I make a mark on here but you know what jesus Jesus comes right back over here and I stretch it out to him and he comes and he makes me new and then I become his masterpiece once again. There is mercy, there is love, there is grace in his church. And I can't forget the the testimony that Katina gave on the five-year anniversary video that we have on our website. I'll never forget it. Katina shared back early on in the church days when we were meeting down at downtown Washington Elementary that she came in and and she shares that she'd been coming and and she found that Canvas was a place where she could feel safe. I thank God that that was her testimony, that it was a place where she could feel safe, that I can admit the things that I'm going through. And she shares how she came and she was honest about her situations honest about her marriage, honest about the things that she was going through. Because of that, she received prayer. And to look at where she's at now, it's only by the grace of God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what the church should look like. The first, Jesus creates an atmosphere of love, acceptance, and mercy. And then he looks for our response to that. He looks for us, you and I, to come and say, okay, Jesus, here it is. I'm going to put it out there for you. Will you take it? 
because I can't, I've tried. I've tried to work out my marriage on my own. I can't do it. Jesus, I've tried to fight this anger issue. I can't do it. Jesus, I've tried to, tried to overcome the lust. I can't do it. Jesus, here it is. And watch him forgive. Watch him heal. Watch him renew your life. When we hold on to our struggles, we make our sin and the things that we go through the focal point of the masterpiece. But when we stretch those things out to Jesus, Jesus becomes the focal point of the masterpiece. And then he puts your life on display. Then he says, there's my masterpiece. I'm going to put that masterpiece on display. Not so people can see you, but because by looking at what Christ did in your life, they will see the glory of God. And they will find hope for their situations in life. Will you join with me as we pray this morning? Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.